Welcome to Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land and water. I'm Glenn Wheeler. Thanks for your support via patreon.com and email transfer mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. Willow. I'm just back from the cabin in York Harbor, Bay of Islands, in so-called Newfoundland. Almost too quick to the Mi'kmaq people. For those of us living outside our territory, these have been hard times during COVID, not being able to be around the land and the water that keeps us balanced and connected. It was good to be back. And of course, I was out and about talking to people about the upcoming elections, who's running, who's not, and who might, about where we are as Halibu First Nation and what we need in the next chief. Coincidentally, I crossed paths with Chief Brendan Mitchell on the very first day I arrived. I was having supper with a family at Aroma's restaurant at the Valley Mall in Cornerbrook, when who would walk in but Brendan Mitchell? and his wife. We did not exchange greetings, and when he went to pay at the credit card terminal near where I was sitting, he pointedly turned his back to me. Many say this is the same things that Halibu has done to its members, turned its back. You can see it in the small things and in the big. Take the scheduling of the chief and council meeting. It had originally been set for July 22nd. Then a week before that day, it was moved to July 29th. That's a Thursday, rather than Saturday, the usual day for council meetings. The explanation was that the auditor had to attend to do prep for the upcoming annual General Assembly. This being Halibu, the calendar of one auditor is privileged over the many thousands of Halibu members. And once again, this meeting was live-streamed closed to members, supposedly for COVID reasons. But as you'll see in the live stream video, council members did not wear masks, sat elbow to elbow with no social distancing, and occasionally leaned in to speak mouth to ear. On one occasion, Brenda Mitchell is seen shaking hands with one meeting participant. It's not the virus that Brenda Mitchell was worried about, It's the likes of enrollment protesters and Mi'kmaq matters that he wants to keep at bay. Let us not forget that before COVID struck, he threatened to bar Mi'kmaq matters from council meetings. He got his wish thanks to a pandemic. Unwanted opinions cleansed with administrative sanitizer so he can be safe from dissident members holed up in the Halibu bubble. The Halibu bubble... That's a good way to look at our First Nation Bank Council and administration. Decisions come from Halibu headquarters in downtown Cornerbrook. That's where most staff have their desks. Those staff work hard and do their best despite questionable management by band manager Keith Golding, who has overseen an exodus of senior staff who are just now being replaced. But the staff is not the problem. The real issue is the orientation and leadership 
or lack thereof. There is no plan or strategy to make Halibut relevant to the issues of its members. Rural Newfoundland, where many Halibut members live, is dying. Young people pull out for jobs elsewhere, leaving our elderly alone, in many cases poor, without family support. Credit to Halibut for starting a housing program to provide help with home repairs. Economically, Stephenville and Cornerbrook are doing better than the small communities, but things are far from rosy. One of the ironies in all this is that while more than 10,000 people lost their status because they lived off the island, as time goes by, more and more of the membership will live on the mainland. And if you live off the island, you get little from Halibut in the way of service. An uncertain future beckons, a future for which the band has no plan. Halibut is reactive. Staff funnel out federal health and education money and chase grants that will help keep existing employees in a job and might lead to more getting hired on. Some of that is good. Language funding allowed for the hiring of Dean Simon, whose language classes are popular and an important part of the cultural development of Halibut members. But how it all fits into a plan for the future is unknown because no one has gotten around to thinking about that. What kind of ban will we have if no one can live here, if everyone has to move away? The next chief doesn't need to have all the answers, but she or he has to be willing to ask the questions, have the conversation, think beyond tomorrow and the next day. And who will be the next chief? Maybe it will be Brendan Mitchell once again. 2,500 votes was all it took last time for him to win. And he has his fan club. But Mitchell will have his challenges this time, not the least of which is the lack of deliverables on his promises from the last election. Urban reserve, hunting and fishing rights, resolution of the enrollment mess, zero, zero, zero. It would be good to have someone other than Brendan Mitchell in the chief's office. He lacks the temperament for the job, prone as he is to personalize all the issues and freeze out those who would dare disagree with him. Where the current moment in which many Mi'kmaq people are dealing with the pain of lost status and uncertainty about getting it back, he has vilified his critics rather than engaging with them. Last month at the launch of the Pulling Together event, he talked about the need for unity, but it was an empty word coming from someone who, in this regard, does not practice what he preaches. Also problematic is Mitchell is a member of the Liberal Party clique in Cornerbrook. That includes MP Goody Hutchings, Nay Lundrigan, and MHA Jerry Byrne. Like Hutchings, Mitchell is a recognized member of the Cornerbrook political establishment, having retired from the mill after a career in management and with a house on Cobb Lane, the address of many other bigwigs past and present. As one Alibu member says, Mitchell is not a man who wears rubber boots. Now, many of us vote liberal from time to time, and few of us long for the days of Stephen Harper, but Mitchell's liberal loyalties have netted little from Mi'kmaq people, especially on enrollment issues. In fact, the political coziness between Hutchings 
and Mitchell may have been more curse than blessing. Regarding enrollment, Mitchell has never put Hutchings on the spot as the liberal representative for the area that contains most Halibut territory. And what to make of that bizarre news release in early July regarding enrollment? Earlier this year, the feds stopped discussions on enrollment, leading Mitchell to rail against the act of treachery. But he signed on to a news release in which the feds have him say, I am pleased that the government of Canada is now moving forward to reassess military personnel, RCMP, and veterans. Unquote. No timelines and nothing on former members of the Federation of Newfoundland Indians, the crux of the matter. It was a handy news release for Goody Hutchings, getting her off the hook for the next federal election, exactly like the announcement at the Cornerbrook Legion in 2018 regarding the exploratory talks. Now she's ready for a federal election later this year, even though not a single person has got status as a result of that big announcement three years ago. Mitchell was played by the feds, or allowed himself to be played. So he'll have questions to answer if he runs again. And at least one of his opponents will be a candidate who lives in Cornerbrook, indeed a cousin, Jeff Sparks. Sparks is a firefighter and head of the Firefighter Union in Cornerbrook. He ran unsuccessfully for the Cornerbrook Ward Councillor spot in 2018. We expect other entrants, but if Mitchell and Sparks both run, there might be a chance for a candidate from Bay St. George if she or he could consolidate the sizable vote out there and prevail over a Cornerbrook split. In other election news, there's the prospect of more gender balance on the next council. The latest entrant is candidate Jenny Brake for the position of Western Vice Chief. For sure, she'd be a welcome replacement for Keith Cormier, who has spent three years parroting Brendan Mitchell and encouraging Brendan Mitchell in his bad behaviors. So, what's in store for the next chief? What qualities should we be looking for? Certainly, it's a challenging job involving equal parts administrative, political advocacy, and cultural leadership. A tall order indeed. As reported by Mi'kmaq Matters earlier this year, there is low morale among staff and a culture of nepotism. Staff management is the proper responsibility of band manager Keith Golding, and it's not for the chief to micromanage. But when there has been an exodus of senior staff and questionable hiring, the chief has to take an interest. But that's not the only administrative challenge. Many members who have dealt with their band complain about unresponsiveness and inadequate service. There needs to be an administrative reorganization that sees the member as the focal point rather than the nuisance who's calling again. Staff serve the members, not the BAM bureaucracy. While the chief is tending to those internal matters, there are also the external challenges. The enrollment issue will require a strategic rethink. No matter how hard the fists pound on the table, the endless meetings with the feds have not yielded results. When the Liberal government takes you for granted, You've lost your leverage. Perhaps an aggressive political campaign using the stories of real people denied their status will be more effective. Also on the legal front, there's work to do in the area of hunting and fishing and other land rights. Some of it is straightforward. 
a food social and ceremonial or FSC fishing license, has been talked about for years but has not materialized. It would allow band members to fish outside the commercial and recreational fisheries for community purposes. But there are more ambitious legal objectives. On this topic, we always get the same response. The Drew case and Halibut being a landless band. Among the unfulfilled promises of the outgoing council was to start work on a legal strategy to get beyond those obstacles. The Drew case brought by Meowbigag First Nation was botched. It was brought too soon and the best witnesses weren't called. It resulted in the Newfoundland courts ruling that the Mi'kmaq were brought to the island of Newfoundland by Europeans. We were Johnny-come-latelys and therefore have no claim to any land, the court said. But the historical evidence, not called in the Drew case, suggests otherwise. Mi'kmaq had ocean-going canoes and crisscrossed the waters from the Magdalene Islands to Newfoundland and Saint-Pierre. They were doing all that before the Europeans arrived. If that's the case, can we not rely on the peace and friendship treaties, the same ones as our people in Nova Scotia have successfully invoked to assert their right to a moderate livelihood fishery? Mi'kmaq people in Listigouche on the Quebec-New Brunswick border also look to the peace and friendship treaties to take back control of their salmon fishery. Of course, there's no guarantee that the halibut would be successful, but we owe it to ourselves to give it a try. On top of the legal issues at stake, something more could be accomplished, regardless of the result, win or lose. It's a chance to engage the halibut membership, to make us as proud of our First Nation as we are of being Mi'kmaq. Land and water is at the core of Mi'kmaq people. This is a fight that members want their halibut band to take on. September will mark 10 years since the founding of Halibut as a First Nation. It's been a tough decade for us. But now we have an opportunity. An uninspired and uninspiring council is on the way out. Judging by the number of councillors not running, we'll have a much different council in October. This is our chance to build the band of which we all can be proud. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. Support our work via patreon.com or by email transfer, mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emsit Nogamai.